Pod Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. This is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. And tonight, the three of us are here to talk about the second episode of the second season of TNT's Snowpiercer. And of course, I didn't write down the name of this episode. Anybody else have that handy? Smolder to Life. Smolder to Life. I uh, personally have renamed this episode the <laughs> Holy Shit episode. Yes. Oh my God. I uh, will go along with that. <laughs> what, what made you call it the Holy Shit episode? Because it's just one big holy shit moment after another, Paul. And <laughs> uh, there's things that I'm still processing and, and have questions over. I'm excited to get into this conversation. Well, hopefully we hit the things that made you holy shit. If we miss it, then please. We definitely need to discuss it. I want to start with the very first, I don't know if it was a holy shit, but maybe it was like a, oh shit kind of moment was Mel's dream or whatever that was, in her cell when Al came to get her right at the beginning. What was that little girl doing? I don't fucking know. That was so weird. And that, what to me, was a what-the-fuck, holy shit moment. So to me, it was. It was just odd to see a young girl. Or am I correct in assuming that this is Melanie? It could be. It also could be Alex. Well, she was younger than that, though, right? When she... When they showed her in the flashback. Yeah. 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 But that, that's still on the table. I mean, yeah. what, I, what I saw was a little girl picking, looked like tissue. Yeah. <laughs> out of, out of something. Yeah. <laughs> Disemboweling a rabbit. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what to make of this. Um, <laughs> is, am, am I, am I missing some clues there? Is this, is this an obvious tie in to anything that's come before? My assumption is that maybe it's Melanie. You know, it seems to appear only in her figment of her imagination. There really wasn't any kind of outside element that gave me a hint that it would be influencing this perspective of of what she's envisioning. I have no idea what it's symbolic for. I feel like I didn't really get much of an answer either in the episode. I'm hoping they'll answer it in another episode. I have to wonder if... You know, her proximity to Wilford, the realization that there is a Wilford, all that stuff. If this is not triggered by that and indicative, if, I mean, it's probably wholly, you know, symbolic, but indicative of something tied in to Wilford, you know, something that she associates with him, did for him, is aware that he did something, something like that. I don't know where disemboweling small animals and all that means, but I'm pretty sure it's not a literal thing, but I think we'll be able to find out at some point what that's symbolizing, but I don't think it's going to be a good thing. Oh no, definitely felt very ominous. I think that would have been a really, it it would have been a standout moment, which it was, but like Ines said, it was like, there's so many things in this second episode that it's very different than the first season where I feel like it was a very slow burn and, and it was a little, I don't know, we... Sometimes I felt like, where is this going? And this one, it's like, 
it's very fast paced. Like we got a lot of information in this one that I thought we weren't going to get till later in the season. So I think, yes, creepy girl, maybe who knows what that is, but I have bigger questions on my mind from all the other <laughs> stuff in this episode. I didn't really think about that one because there was just so much other, other things coming. It was a flash and it was gone. Mm-hmm. Let's leave that behind until we have some more context. Um, speaking of Alex, though, Alex seems to be just a continuous little ball of hurt. And there's not much that Mel can do or is actually willing to do in order to try to fix that just yet. Do you suppose that in order for Mel to gain any kind of loyalty, she's going to have to let Alex hurt her? Like, she's going to have to let some bit of information through, you know, like she kept the snow stuff very close to the vest, as they say. She wouldn't share that with Alex before the big announcement in first class. Would she have to let some something through that would actually end up hurting her so that Al would see that her mother does or would trust her or something like that. You know know what I'm getting at? Like, like there's like, it's not just going to be like, well, you know, we're blood related. So you should naturally trust me because that's never going to work. Well, I feel like it, we kind of got a little bit of that at the very end because I think maybe Alex is expecting because of whatever Wilfred has told her about Melanie that maybe she's thinking that Melanie's going to try to say all these things to get her back on her side. And and she always preemptively, it seems like from these two episodes, like don't even try, you know, something like that. And at the very end, you know, when she knows that Melanie's going to have to be going out into the mission, which obviously it hurts her because she just got her mom back, even if she doesn't like her right now. It's still a lot. She says, don't say you did this for me. And then Melanie's like, I didn't, I did it for everybody. And I think that was like, it kind of took Alex back a little bit, or at least I think it did because I think she was expecting Melanie to kind of do that whole spiel of whatever Wilfred has told her. And maybe that's the way to kind of get Alex back is like, just show her that sort of thing or like try to not to play into, Hey, I'm your mom. And I just did this because I cared about, you know, like, like reverse psychology, especially since Andre earlier in the episode was like, Oh, she's a teenager after, you know, she's like, Oh, she hates me. She's confused and all the stuff that Melanie told him. So maybe it's like a little bit of reverse psychology that will get Alex back. I agree with everything that you're saying, Kat. I think Alex is struggling with wanting to have her mother back and she still has all of these curiosities about her, but she is struggling to process how to move towards that, but also feel the justified disdain and hatred that she feels for her because of this very dramatic situation they find themselves in. I think she's, she wants to, there's a curiosity. She processed the snow. We didn't really know last week what we were, what she was going, if she actually was going to keep it. Well, now we have our answer. She processed it and she still has this curiosity and she just has the mind of a scientist and she's really torn between building off of her, you know, the relationship with her mother, but also holding on to like hating her and remembering that this lady left her for dead. I guess my question, I put it the way that I did because I've watched so much TV that when I see family members hate each other, <laughs> that TV just never leaves that alone. You know, it's always like, well, naturally they're family, so they have to get back together in some way. Do you suppose the TV gods have the guts to just leave them fucked? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the situation does because, I mean, they don't have to do anything. I mean, they're already in this post-apocalyptic state. It's funny because I was actually thinking when you when you talked about Alex and Mel, like 
Mel has been given the circumstances of like knowing that your kid's alive when you thought she was dead has been pretty calm and collected. So I wonder if that's also just her being smart and not trying to play that she's actually really hurt. You know, like she's really excited to see her and like wants to be her mom again, but knows like there's a lot of deep rooted, you know, all this stuff. And then maybe it's just like her going off on the station and who knows what, like she could die. And then, so maybe Alex she's going to have to confront like, Hey, I hate this person because she left me, but I also want to be able to hate her. And she knows that, you know, like being that teenager kind of thing. But then what if she doesn't even get that chance to, because she's going off and could die again? Like, you know, so that's already seems like enough for me as a viewer. But again, like, yeah, you're right. Like in TV, it's going to be some dramatic thing. But for me, that's pretty dramatic already. I don't know. (laughs) Well, the way that she had said, don't tell me you're doing this for me. I didn't recognize it at the moment, but listening to you guys talk, she told her that before, didn't she? Like the last time she left to go get Snowpiercer ready, that's what she told her. I see. I see. It's like the kid that's always waiting for their dad to take them on that fishing trip. And it's always <laughs> like delay till next time, delay till next time kind of thing. Is that what you're talk, kind yeah, of talking like, about? Yeah, like just coincidentally, Kat, I had just recently rewatched the Friday Night Lights episode, The Sun. Oh, yes. Oh. And that was what Saracen's dad was telling him the whole time. Maybe that's why I am coming at it different because like I've I've had very like not I mean not moments like that but like I think any like mom daughter relationship and just like that tension and sometimes you're like uh, maybe that's why I'm like feeling a little different about that <laughs> about it in a way maybe you're having that's why you're having questions about it <laughs> not having been a teenage girl yet yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, kudos to the, the, the show because I, I think sometimes I'm expecting it to go one way, especially with her. I thought her character would be going in a certain direction, maybe just, you know, kind of, um, I don't know. She's still surprising me. I mean, it's two episodes in, but she is not what I thought she would be, I guess, by now. She's still very cold and um, I can't really read her, I guess, is what I'm saying. So I can't really, I, I, I don't know. And then they haven't really had too many interactions besides just like very cold and blunt and not very long-winded so it's kind of hard to tell like what they're both coming from you know so then that moment in no man's land when they're doing the prisoner swap and al runs into the middle area there with the snow sample and makes sort of a scene about crushing the the sample is there more to it than just you know, a heartbroken daughter or, or is there something I'm missing there? What do you guys think? I think that it's one of those really conflicting experiences. Now she doesn't know when she's going to see her mother again. All she knows is that they're doing this exchange and she probably just really obsessively needs to know what her mom is studying from a scientific perspective, because it sounds like she's part of that team of the scientists in the Big Alice side of stuff. And so she really wants to know that information and she's losing her resource for it. And then she again that conflict. Like, I I think that it just kind of turned into genuine curiosity and I need to know. And then her mom giving her the olive branch and then being a teenager, be like, no, you fucking left me to die. I'm going (laughs) to smash your snow jar. Yeah. I agree with that too. But I also think, yeah, it's funny because I think, um, I mean, we don't know what Melanie was like when she was her age, but I mean, Wilford kind of alludes like, oh, you're even better than she was at her age, which then 
I don't know if that answers our question from last week where we were like, how old is she? And, you know, they had mentioned 17. So maybe that's the age Alex is. Maybe she's just really mad that she has this brilliant person. Cause I think in her mind, she knows that Melanie is, you know, really good to like really, you know, smart and everything because of what she saw her do and everything that she's probably heard from Wilford. So maybe in that sense, she's like, well, this is my mom. Like I wish she would tell me what she knows. Maybe it's coming from that angle too. Like scientifically and then also just as like i can't believe you're not going to tell me after what you did sort of thing (laughs) well it is like you said a minute ago that she is cold but she's not you know like a vulcan or 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 something so she is going to have those spikes of of emotion just because she is a teenager she can't just be this robotic cold person so maybe that's it maybe you know just that kind of the outrage built up to the point where she volcanoed into the, into that scene in, in no man's land. Yeah. I don't know. And then I don't know if she's, a, she, if it's enough for, she's also playing Wilford in a way I, that's TBD. I think I have inklings and like maybe suspicion, like what their relationship is. Cause we got a lot of, we got an insight to that too in this one, but yeah, it's just very early for me to have a concrete answer. Do, do you, are you referring to the kind of the personal space question with making Mr. Wilford breakfast and things like that or something else? Well, like them in the, I don't know if it was like a lab, but um, where she was um, preparing for the, um, like, I guess the attack, like kind of towards the end, that's when he tells her like, oh, you're going to be even more brilliant. And I'm choosing, like, you're the one that's going to do it. And, you know, like on the attack on Andre and that sort of thing. And and then also just the the inkling when Kevin in the bathtub and she's like, he's like, give me a minute. And then she goes and, you know, puts the headphones on because she knows what's going to happen. And then it, it, it also feels like she's just been in survival mode and I don't know if she really considers him the dad figure or she's just learned to, hey, let me just also put on a face with Wilford. And she's just smart enough to do that because she's obviously Mel's kid and probably is smart too, you know? So yeah. um, I feel like there's a lot of that going on, like whether she's just brilliant in that spe- in that aspect too and just hiding her herself from Wilford and pretending that she's really loyal, but maybe, I don't know, you know, like all that kind of deep complexity of it. That's, I mean, that, that's a tough discussion because he was willing to sacrifice her this episode if he had given her the nod to go through with the attack on andre at best she would have been taken prisoner right then and there therefore they would be separated they'd be severed that he was willing to do that says a lot and that that she was willing to do that also says a lot you know when she pops out the little blade and all that and she's ready and she's got a clear lane to andre but he says no and and then she doesn't do anything her job there was to kill him right i think that this probably is a continued conversation from last week when we introduced the concept that that he's probably grooming her in some way i think that that's what's played in here she was very very young child when all of this started, he's fed really ugly thoughts and memories about her mom to her for the last seven years. I think that to him, she is this very adaptable and flexible tool that he can just use because she's young and naive enough to already be loyal to him, you know, given the circumstances. And she trusts him because he saved her life. It's a very dramatic situation that this child had to experience. So I think that, you know, she trusts him first before she kind of has time to reflect on whether this is a good or bad decision. 
she didn't have a good central moral compass, as we can see who Wilfred is here. If that's who she had to mold her morality for the last seven years in some of this critical identity creation period in her life, it's almost like she really wasn't set up for success in being anything more than his tool. Yeah. And I just want to mention the one thing that Kevin mentioned um, in the interrogation, because I think it kind of speaks to this relationship with Alex and Wilfred and just Wilfred in general with everybody else is like, he's like, you know, hospitality comes from the heart. It's a culture. And I just kind of did, I, I'm bringing in a pun here, but like cult, sure. You know, because <laughs> it feels like as the episode unfolded and we learned more about Wilfred and kind of, you know, the egotistical side and, um, and then like the W with the fingers that we, I guess we can talk about later, but like, it was feeling very culty, like he's the cult leader. And then also like the fact that he gets people to do things that they don't want to do, but he has that hold over them. That just screams cult to me. I don't know if you guys have those vibes, but like that was just like feeling very um, creepy. And I was like, oh, that that makes sense. Cause closed quarters, you know, in, in a train, like he made, he has made it a cult. <laughs> yeah. The phrase, I adore him. That uh, amongst men anyway, is, is a pretty uncommon a uh, descriptor to use amongst workmates, uh, <laughs> which basically they are. Uh, I adore him. I don't know that I've ever said that about anyone, male or female, actually. But that is something you would say about like a cult, like a Jim Jones type person in your life, a David Koresh or whatever. You know, the word adore means to love and worship. So, you know, it kind of does match with this cult-like atmosphere that we find ourselves in that you know, they're suffering these, they're obviously suffering in Big Alice, we found, with how dramatic Kevin's scenes were. They've had to suffer a lot more than the people on Snowpiercer, and since they are accustomed to living in these sub-freezing temperatures more than what they're experiencing in, in Snowpiercer, there's kind of like that unspoken bond of just surviving together that is more important than new people giving me food for for even the moment. Although he did break because I, I wrote that down. Like he, he was like, oh, I'm not going to say anything. And then it was that move from from the first one when they gave Andre, you know, that grilled cheese and tomato soup, right? That, yeah. that was, was, and then like he caves and then I just wrote down because this is on a tangent, but I was wondering like what would make, what food would make you guys cave and give like away all the secrets? Because I thought like it seems to be that's the big thing on this one is just like what food would you give away the the, cat, the kingdom, I guess. Well, it wouldn't be much for me. It would just be like burgers or something. But if it was, if if I was like in a in a spy type situation, maybe I would I would get uh, shellfish so that it would just kill me. <laughs> well, that's, that's dark. A martyr. That makes sense. Pa, are you a Gryffindor? <laughs> no, I I think I'm a Ravenclaw. If I, if I had to if I had to pick a house, I think I'd be a Ravenclaw. Same, same. Um, going well. Let, let me finish up my last Al question, but let's circle right back to Kevin and the eating, okay? Mm-hmm. The last thing of note that I got that Al did was slap that bloody hand up there on the wall before she went back to Big Alice. As we've said before, nothing on TV happens without a purpose. <laughs> that wasn't an immediately obvious move to make. No one was really supposed to know that she had a bloody hand for one thing. So was that intentionally leaving a clue 
like I had a knife on me and it made my hand bloody during this meeting? Was it some way of making a crude blood sample available to the people of Snowpiercer of hers? Or was it just snottiness, just good old fashioned teenage girl snottiness? I was leaning into the more uh, scientific one of like blood sample sort of thing. Cause I think that's what I wanted to be. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like as we, as we've been talking about it and also as, as you know, this episode went on and Alex is smart and I think she, she's, she's like Melanie where she's not doing anything. She's not doing, you know, anything for nothing, you know? So I think it was there for a reason and it would seem kind of odd to just put like a bloody handprint just to be like, I had a blade, you know, like, I don't know like, what she would get from that and other, but I hope it's something with the sciencey blood sample. Cause given what we know, there's been a lot of, like a lot of weird stuff going on big Alex. though. I'm guessing that maybe Alex has also been possibly experimented on or, you know, fed something right. and maybe now that she knows about the snow, maybe that's why she really wanted to know because, you know, Maybe given what they've been doing, I don't know, maybe something in their blood or whatever. But yeah, I hope it's that. <laughs> I went the uh, that this is just some teenage angst kind of thing and a little bit of a flex, kind of like what, what you mentioned, um, proposed, Paul. But I am now very intrigued to see and follow if this goes that science route, because that would mean that you know, I'm not giving Alex enough credit as being more of like a strategy kind of thinker. I think that she's, my perspective so far is she's been very impulsive, but controlled in doing what she's told. But I haven't seen, you know, her kind of having like her own will yet. So I did not make a, a scientific kind of connection, but I wouldn't put it past her because I do think she is very intelligent. Yeah, I think maybe even a combination of the two, where like she wanted to leave her mom whatever evidence is in her blood, but the delivery mechanism was like, fuck you, <laughs> slapped it on the wall. <laughs> uh, so she gets the best of both teenage worlds, maybe that way. Flipping back up to Kevin, where we were just talking in the eating, I also associated that with the grilled cheese and just about any good cop, bad cop procedure. You know, just the yeah. eating. I did not make the connection that the way in which he ate them exposed Big Alice. Did you guys catch on to that in the moment or did it take the most fun bath in the world to, to, oh my God. to, to bring you around? Bath from hell. <laughs> Well, I was just thinking when I saw that scene, it kind of was an ode to the, the was it like three or four episodes where we we're like, is this just going to be a crime procedure? And it's no yeah, yeah. One. And so I actually felt a little bit nostalgic. So I was like, oh, this is the beginnings of the, of the show. And I like that they kind of brought that back. But it also showed, um, I know we talked a lot about Andre and, you know, sort of where he stands as a leader and all that kind of stuff in the last, in last week's episode. But this one really showed where his strength is, which is, he's good at reading people and he's good at putting like getting what he needs from them or takes the clue and kind of like, well, or his hunch and then he runs with it and then he gets, you know, gets the info that he wants. So it was really fun to see him back in his prime because like the leadership role is not where he shines um, <laughs> so much, but this is where he shines. He knows 
I think on a one-on-one basis, he does know people like even with the till situation, which you can talk about, but he knew what he was doing. And I, and I think he's just a seasoned pro in this. And like, I think he kind of had inklings of what the people of Alice are, are going through and then he got it. So he like confirmed it basically is what I'm getting, is what I'm getting from that whole scene. I thought it did expose big Alice's current situation earlier in the scene. I had noticed that Alex, you know, she made her plate of food and it was this canned spam that I thought she was maybe prepping for Melanie as like a gross dish for Melanie, like a take that, but it was her dish. And so that was like my first kind of clue about it oh, because they're, they're in a very luxurious room in the engine there. And then later on, we see the scene of that interrogation. And by the way, if I had to pick a food to influence, I probably would say I'm going with like what Pike did, who was like the chocolate fudgy cake. So that's would totally be what turns me over. Um, sorry, everybody. But I felt like in that moment that Wilfred is absolutely flexing as big as he can to protect that vulnerability, which I think is knowledge that they're not doing well. Which leads to the bathtub scene. Kevin did not put up the requisite amount of no thanks, I'm I'm good kind of commentary before stripping down and getting into that bathtub that a normal person would. I think this gets back to that cult idea that you guys were discussing a minute ago, that whatever Wilford has done to exert such a indomitable influence over his people includes removing whatever barriers a a person would have with bathing in front of another person you know yeah like for me that's a pretty tall barrier (laughs) 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 at this point (laughs) and and the concept is in that other person bathing with me like retroactive to that that barrier is even taller insert my like ew david gif right here Yeah, I know we had questions on what Wilford's intentions were in episode one. And then this one, I think I just wrote down like very sinister. <laughs> like, like if we have any question of like what kind of character he is, I think it's kind of getting cemented now, unless he has some sort of remarkable redemptive arc through this season. But it seems like it's not going to be <laughs> unless that's like, you know, maybe in season three. But I was just actually thinking, too, because, you know, we tie this back to Game of Thrones and, of course, Sean Bean, Game of Thrones in a very different role, obviously. But I just felt like this was even at the level of like a Game of Thrones death. Like it was so evil in a way like you know like the fact that you're there in the bathtub you're gonna be in that person's blood and you're gonna watch him kill himself i don't know i think that was just like another level of crazy and also just like what he's willing to do and what he's done because obviously alex knew the routine go put the headphones on to not hear what's going on so what else has he done it's probably even worse than this bathtub scene is what i'm guessing why though why does he have to be in the bathtub like i I guess it's like showing your strength isn't it like that's the most vulnerable like paul said like he would never be (laughs) either what i so it's like it's like asserting your power knowing like you're getting someone at their weakest point in there i don't know and then maybe getting off on that Right. And, you know, and he's groomed Alex. We know that. And so, you know, he's obviously had to groom the rest of big Alice to fall in line. But it's just really bizarre. Paul, I felt I I had the same kind of reaction. Like, 
oh, he like totally doesn't give a shit that he's like told, oh, go take a bath. And he's just talking and taking his clothes off. And I'm like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is weird. And so I actually ended up surprised to see him get nervous and like, oh, should I get out? When Wilfred starts to climb into the tub and I'm like, wait, like, you were already like he already seen your dong, like <laughs> it, like you're already like there, and you didn't care earlier, but now now you care. But like has he awkward. never commented about? So I'm like was spending some time processing the what the fucks of both of these back to back kind of scenarios in there, and then the ultimate holy fucking shit moment of how did he just casually at Kevin to not put up a bigger fight, and you know how much fear does Kevin have to feel in this kind of moment that he's just immediately accepts this is his fate he's gonna go and he's gonna just do his part just like Wilford tells him to if you're hungry and they seem like they're probably you know very hungry based on Kevin's reaction and then they've also been exposed to a lot of like the sub-zero temperatures given and then in addition probably all this other weird culty stuff maybe he was just like well you know what like this is probably better if I just you know um I don't have to deal with this anymore if you're um hungry like almost starving that kind of thing um which I don't think they're at that level yet but kind of I guess doesn't that mess with your psyche too like you're not thinking straight so I feel like a lot of them maybe are just like it's, it's that's so true a lot of that yeah, like weakness, like he's able to control them in that sense too, you know, like easier to control them, I guess. Right. Like, um, like limiting their exposure to any kind of other kind of pleasures, like maybe the scenario of being in this really warm tub, who knows he's had like a nice shower or hot bath, it, you know, the whole, in these past seven years. And yeah. I guess it's like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to go, at least this is a kindness that's being yeah. done to me because it's actually a nice, peaceful way. But a lot of movies and films, when I see this happen and I got fucking goosebumps when Wilfred fixed the position on his wrist with the razor. Right, yeah. I was like, he's like, I'm not fucking around here. Uh, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> like it's not even on HBO. And I was like, whoa, like they're really going for it. Yeah, like watching him go through like the lightheadedness of everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this like the most the closest to maybe what happens in real life that we never really get to see in films because they usually just have it when they've already passed out by the time see somebody with the scenes with their wrist cut and stuff like that and here watching them actually go through that whole process was so eerie and it actually made managed to get me a little bit nauseous this episode i think reminded me of the south korean roots of the movie which didn't shy away from body horror <laughs> at all we had some in the first season, you know, like LJ with the, her father's eye yeah. and that kind of stuff. But this one with the mangled hands and the the lesson in how to uh, kill yourself in the bathtub, that and then the red, red water and the dog lapping oh. up the water. Yeah, yeah that that put me back in that mindset to remember where this storytelling came from, where the producers come yeah. from and what what they're willing to do. I think the first scene, like season was good, but I think it lacked that bit of it, right? Like the kind of, um, like you're saying, the roots. And this one seems like, especially since we got a lot in this episode, feels like we're going to be in for a lot. <laughs> Which I'm excited for because, I mean, yeah, it's bad. It's like, it's it's hard to take sometimes, but like, I mean, 
I've watched Game of Thrones and all those other ones. So like, I mean, I don't think it's going to go that to that level of crazy, but like even the subtleness sometimes though of Ines was describing like the passing out, like, and, and being in the bath, like that was enough more so than like having to chop off and like blood oozing out, you know, like it's just the fact that you're able to do that to somebody like, I don't know. That's crazy. <laughs> very eerie. Yeah. It was very creepy. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm excited for the show, even though like I'm not excited for that scene, but like, it just seemed like that's the direction they're going to go into this season. And it seems like it's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> for sure. Since we're still sort of in the Mr. Wilford uh, sphere, I'll stick with him. What was your read on the various facial expressions that he was making during Melanie's announcement. I mean, before he he moved into his, this is all bullshit phase. And before he said, okay, well, we can do that as long as we followed my rules. There's a lot of camera time spent on his face. As she said, things are going to get better within our lifetime. Um, what was your read on that, Kat? They have a long history together. And then we are assuming that they've possibly it could be the dad i'm still going on the theory. it hasn't been disproven yet i'm like they have a very intimate relationship of sorts i wonder if melanie was trying to be very um like she knew the reaction that he was gonna i guess give with what she was gonna say and maybe he knows her so well too like you know when she was younger and kind of like looking for those clues but i think he was it seemed like his facial expressions were just saying like I know what you're doing sort of thing. Like, this is why you brought me out in the open. It wasn't just like, you know, I don't know. I think he knew like, oh, I, I don't want to say this word, but like, um, you, f- you know, you're fucking bitch. Like, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you me. like, you know, that sort of thing. Um, like good play. And I think, well, I guess I can allude more like in a nicer reference, like what Andre mentioned about chess. And I think it was that sort of thing. Like his, he, he knew he had kind of been, Played. And I don't know the chess moves, so maybe if you do, Paul, like you can kind of whatever move would be the equivalent of that facial expression. <laughs> He's like, oh, you got me. <laughs> Check, bitch. <laughs> I felt the same way. Similarly, what Kat said, um, that he kind of realized in that moment that he was set up to have no choice but to kind of comply into the plan that, that they're doing because he'd just come from this big ordeal of waving high and it bringing everybody's spirits up and it was all good and then she lays out like this really like big thing without any preparation from anybody really to kind of like process it and now he's kind of stuck because he wants to he loves that attention and the he's just very narcissist sociopath so uh i i think that the fuck you bitch internalizing (laughs) is is totally fair and i took his facial expressions to be either okay fine you fucking got me or like you i'm going to actually be helpful but maybe i'm maybe i'm planning something else that you don't know yet maybe he hasn't showed us all his cards yeah for sure my read on him is that he's a guy that a wants to look cool but part of that coolness is feeling in control and when someone says oh by the way we're <laughs> we're reopening texas or whatever <laughs> that's uh, that's what we got in, in for post quarantine here uh, at, when we were still mid quarantine i guess um we're reopening <laughs> the world and that's a loss of his control he had come basically to luxuriate in the fact that he was going to control every everything and now he's finding out he's he's going to lose control of everything people like that they might be able to change gears with some time but in the moment there's that kind of like 
oh shit, that that's what I saw in his face. But going to where he winds up, which is basically requiring that Mel be the person to go man this station on a planet where they told us from the get-go that sitting still is a great way to die. And most stations do sit still. I wonder if there's something to that. There's something that he knows about the station, like maybe, for instance, Big Alice has already stopped by there and there's nothing there. You know, so when they drop her off, mm-hmm. that's it. Did that caveat or that requirement at the end of that discussion um, strike you guys in any certain way? I did not have that option built in my mind, Paul, but I am very intrigued to see if, if that's what it is. I just took it as uh, he might believe that she has uh, a lot more power on the train and, and getting her off of the train is the opportunity the that he needs to start working toward his goal. So that's where my mind went. That's got to be huge part of it. She's the one that actually built the train. He just paid for it, you know? (laughs) So that's a big deal. Curious. (laughs) Very curious, Harry Potter reference. Now that you're, that you mentioned that um, about, you know, there's nothing that is in these things that um, is just for whatever, because Melanie in the first episode, um, she says, oh, you took a shortcut, you know, and, and kind of um, made it a point to say that about the Rocky, the Rocky mountain shortcut and something like that. And so, yeah, it does make sense that maybe there's something weird in that station or, um, I don't know. It seems like there's going to be something there that, um, uh, Wilford just doesn't, I don't know if he doesn't want her to go there or, um, maybe it's like the icy Bob beta version is still yeah. <laughs> bouncing around in there. Yeah. Or maybe there's something there that she can use against him. I don't know. I'm not, I'm betting that's not what he's thinking, although she's probably smarter than him. So who knows? <laughs> I I'm really liking that they're going to go off into a different location, I guess, because how is that even going to happen? How is she going to go to that base? I don't know. It's going to be fun because I was thinking that it was just going to be on this train forever. And now we're kind of getting in different locations, which is um, exciting. So, yeah, I think I have an image in my head of like in Westerns when they needed to drop somebody off without stopping the train. There was usually something having to do with where they would pick up water or something like that. Some machine that could be grabbed onto from the top of the train that the person would then have to heroically swing from or whatever. Not that Snowpiercer works the same as a steam train, but you get the idea. Some some dramatic, the train's not stopping for you kind of kind of thing. It helps to know now that the train can actually stop. <laughs> because yeah. I didn't think that that was possible before until it happened. And I was like, oh my God, what the fuck is happening? I was <laughs> mortified for them. So at least they've got, what, 12 minutes? <laughs> right. They do have that before they got to go. Let's flip over to a couple of other characters. Before we get to Till, though, because Till's going to tie into the, the rear end of this this part, we have a little bit of business with Osweiler and LJ uh, trying to work their way up in the criminal underworld. I'm not so worried about Osweiler, but I have to have to ask about LJ and like that scene, you know, she, she's introduced to Terrence. Later, she sees Mr. Wilford and makes a very public display with him. If you recall, she had the bodyguard from the first season who in some ways was one of the toughest guys on, uh, on the train. Is she just one of those characters slash women that seeks out the strongest man she can find and buddies up to him? Is is that what, what I'm supposed to get out of her? 
I'm, she kind of is giving me some vibes of Julie from the stand, <laughs> right? Like, let me just attach myself for survival purposes. I mean, I don't think we touched a lot on her character um, last time. It was very satisfying to see her like so broken because mm. they emphasize so much in season one that she has no feelings and she's bored and that's why she's the sociopath. And I still think she is a sociopath, but it's been fun kind of watching her have to go through these hoops. But I did write down like, you know, a question, you know, Know, is she genuinely adapt because she, you know, goes out of her way to like she's she's embracing trying to learn to do this janitor thing, that job that Terrence gives her. And then Ruth comes by and she's like, hey, look, I'm learning the importance of it. But I didn't really get a huge vibe. that It was like sassy sarcasm. I, my question to you guys was, do you think that this is genuine effort or do you think she's just kind of like biding her time because she knows that there's Wilford um, now in the picture? Oh, I think she's biding her time. I think she's psycho McPsycho, you know, like <laughs> your your theory about latching herself onto, you know, the strongest man, maybe not even man, like whoever or whomever, whatever, is it because I think she just wants to be like in control so she can do those I don't know. She's just like a psycho no matter what, or, or she just wants to have that power so she can maybe play in that space of whatever weird thing that pops into her head kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then of course, Wilford, I mean, she knows that she's going to be able to, if she gets with him to be able to maybe to also enact some sort of revenge on the, on the people who, you know, took away her parents and her lifestyle, which is probably Andre, right? <laughs> maybe that's also, cause she is a little bit, you know, um, dissociated that maybe that's what's going through her mind too is like i need to get back into first class mentality and like get back into that i don't think she's genuine at all <laughs> i think she's also a wild card too and i don't know necessarily so much like i think she can just mess things up for i think um both trains because she's probably going to want to do something stupid <laughs> my guess she is definitely a wild card in that her demeanor and the way that she's acting is somewhat different than it was in the first season. Um, you know, her circumstances have vastly changed. She's not in first class anymore um, because she couldn't keep her space. The reserved calculating persona that she had is really gone, at least in the, in the forefront of what she's doing. And she seems like her brain's broken a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But that doesn't mean that it's not calculated. That just means that she's a pretty good actor. Yeah. The more interesting part for me with her was that she looked at Alex and Alex looked at her because I think they're only the few teenagers that are on board, right? Like, mm. like her versions. And it was kind of like they were sizing each other up. Like, who are you? I thought I was going to be the unique young person on this train. And then like they're seeing, I don't know, not a, like a mean girl type of thing, but that sort of competition because i think lg doesn't like that you know i think she likes being the only one as well so that I, is a mean girl sort of thing yeah absolutely <laughs> that is a mean girl thing I, I think that she was totally giving off mean girl vibes cat so i think I, that's going to be the showdown possibly because obviously they have a lot of different like a different i don't know maybe lg would try to go against mel and that's where we're going to you were talking about that moment of what it's going to need for alex and so maybe 
she's going to try to attack somebody. You know, Alex is like, I want to be the one to decide that sort of thing. LJ is entitled. She feels entitlement to be up there. She especially, Wilfred knows her, recognizes her name. She recognizes her face, um, knows the name. Um, and I think that she feels that, uh, that she should be in Alex's place because she doesn't know anything about Alex and like, who are you? Like, that should be me. And I think on top of that, they're teenage girls. So, you know, you got to add that element into it. Yeah. And they haven't seen other teenage girls too. Like, that, what a shock, right? <laughs> All this stuff that you guys are mentioning is 100% true and stuff I hadn't noticed. And so if this was just like the Paul cast, <laughs> I would have just sailed <laughs> right by that whole element of the girl on girl drama. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the coexistence. So I'm, I'm glad you guys mentioned that because geez, I would have missed it. Kind of tying in to LJ, at least in my in my mind, I have Till and her promotion to train detective investigating the weird W finger massacre. Some of the body horror stuff we were talking about earlier, you know, when she goes to look at the hand and it's only got the three fingers left. And that's the same time when Wilford is walking his way back to the train, giving his W sign up in the air. It's pretty clear we're supposed to make that association. At this point, the creators of the TV show want us to make that association. Whether or not it's true, I don't know yet, but but that's what they want us to think. Now, this is just a, a swing for the fences. But is there any chance that this maiming is tied to LJ in some way? Because we know that she is fascinated with dismemberment in a, I don't know, I don't even know the right adjective word there, in some way. <laughs> I mean, she has a history with it, let's just say. That is very sus, Paul. Very sus. <laughs> I guess I just assumed that it came from be like during the fight and exchange, maybe some people like, you know, from w Big Alice's train, it came into Snowpiercer with the rest of them and or or it's just these really extreme kind of sympathizers, maybe from first class because you can hire anybody for for anything in this train. Any, anything is a currency. But my mind did not go there. Uh, I thought that she was still too broken for something like that. And I think that's why I'm not making that connection yet well it is a good i think that is a good um theory wouldn't that be too on the nose like in terms of tv like she's already done that in the first season and then it would be kind of like oh you're doing that again sort of plot although it does make sense if she's trying to get on the good side of wilfred to have done that but he's not going to know that either so where would she have seen the w to um like associate that and like, oh, I'm going to do this to please him. We would have to assume that she saw that when she was younger before they got on the train or something. Well, there's some thought that her parents were some sort of big deal with him. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that could be something like that, but. But putting his, like the three up in the air, like you think is something that was like a, a big known kind of thing before the train stuff. In the first season, they never did it like with Melanie. So. I mean, he's a dude that, that has children singing songs about him. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what, what would association be like? Oh, there's a W. Let's chop off the finger. <laughs> but it is, but it is LJ. So I mean, I wouldn't put it past her, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, kind of extrapolating that idea a little bit. If you do have this mean girl element, where just for argument's sake, say Alexandra's loyalty starts to shift towards Melanie, Mr. Wilford starts to absorb that fact, and then he has this psychotic teen girl 
<laughs> who's waiting in the wings to to be his whatever he wants her to be. And you're of a mindset like Mr. Wilford, where you groom girls about that age. I don't know. It all kind of clicks together. It's, I don't know that that's where I want the story to go. I don't know if she has the intellect, although like like uh, Alex, though, for him to want, like for her to be valuable to Wilfred in that sense. I think it would just Fair. be more, hey, go kill this person and she'd probably do it. He really needs someone that's going to run the train and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it does make sense now that, I, now that you guys were talking about it, too, that the person that was got maimed was, you know, is working, right? And like, obviously, LJ has beef with the tailies because she got taken away from her first class so yeah it does sort of point to her but i feel like it's just too obvious from like a tv perspective is my like inkling <laughs> okay well we were introduced to a new character that till questioned this pastor logan in the tea room and he had like his i don't know if you noticed but he had these the, his tea related stuff at one altar on one side of the train car and then he had a little wilford shrine on the other side of the train car there was a lot going on in that in that room there was a lot of little pictures and stuff yeah it just seemed creepy to me and then like that whole conversation was just creepy so i didn't notice that specifically did you have any read on pastor logan atheist Inez? that scene wasn't too memorable for me because the environment was kind of busy, I, I was kind of like looking around at that kind of stuff and then would realize that I missed something of what he said. I think it was supposed to fly under the radar a little bit. Yeah, I think so too. And then there was just like subtle hints also of, with Till kind of like pre-train world. It, it was funny how they were talking about like religion and stuff. She's like, I guess it's not really spoken about besides like the Wilford indoctrination <laughs> probably is taking from like that sort of thing in some ways you know like because she's she's like yeah my dad was jesus-y <laughs> and then like you know the evangelist i don't think she was meaning it as like a compliment sort of thing because you know like since they don't remember that sort of world or maybe it's been a while they wouldn't really know if it was kind of happening to them or i don't know you know what i'm saying like he's gonna i don't know if he's trying to use that who knows if he's part of that Wilford, you know, they were buying their time sort of thing too, or if it's a separate thing. This show has very few guest stars. Uh, there are, I mean, there's been a couple, sure, but I just, I just don't think we're done with the, with the good pastor yet. Another character who I thought we were done with, but <laughs> it turns out yeah. is making a victory lap or revolution as they're called in the Snowpiercer world is uh, Josie. I was like, what? I thought she was like a popsicle. How how did we get her back? <laughs> this was holy shit moment number one or two. It was one of two for sure. This is one of those that, that gave us there. Like five. <laughs> <laughs> that was unexpected. Help me unpack this this moment. We have Zara who who at one moment is like gonna euthanize her and then <laughs> and then decides no, right? She's the one that tells Leighton later. That was really nice though. I knew it was either going to go that way or obviously the other way, but since she kind of had cold feet euthanizing Josie, um, and then the As thing you do. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Audrey basically said, you know, you got to do what's best for Layden, um, you know, whatever you're doing, like a very kind of, you know, she was busy. It wasn't really anything, but it made an impact on uh, Zara. And I was like, you know what? She's going to do the right, like I was hoping she was going to do the right thing, which in order for uh, Andre to lead well, she knew ultimately like she's not going to be the by his side sort of person and the person that would help him be the best and 
ultimately the best for her kid because the kid's going to be on Snowpiercer and needs to have the best environment. I think she did it more so for the kid probably than for, um, I don't know, for Andre maybe, Uh, but then not being a murderer. (laughs) Yeah. And then she knows that Josie is the one that's going to be the best probably person for him and help him do the right thing and, 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 and also do the right thing. So, and maybe she also thinks like, well, she's a good person. So she'll probably forgive me too. So. (laughs) Ew. I, I hate Zara. (laughs) 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 At least she didn't kill her. I don't know. I was like, people just tease that and then kill her. So I was like, you know what? Josie's going to be fine. Like, um, but yeah. Oh my gosh. It bothered me so much that Zara's very first instinct upon learning of Josie's survival is to kill her. The fact that that's where her brain went first, her very first action is so disturbing to me. Uh, After everything that Josie did, I had to mourn Josie, um, you know, her death because she went out in like the most badass kind of way. So I'm elated to see that she is a fighter and she's back. But um, yeah, like I think kind of like sympathy that I keep trying to rebuild from Zara just because she is pregnant. Like I fucking hate her. I, I feel like this is not forgivable enough, even if she did regret it and she fixed it immediately and she did do whatever like her gut instinct was to kill somebody like what if she like messed that up and caused Josie to have brain damage you know and then she never wakes up and whatnot like I don't know I just I I don't have any sympathy for her right now I have to get over it I need time I need time (laughs) well do you suppose that after some consideration there's the conference that she had with Miss Audrey, but there's also the the belief that Tailies have that they are holding against her that she caused Josie's death, right? That was why Strong Boy and the other guy cornered her last week, right? Yeah, they're already holding her accountable for it. So if Josie appears alive, even if she is handicapped and all the other things that might go wrong with having been exposed to the cold for that long breathing is all you need to not have been responsible for her death that may be more of a of a self-preservation move than we give it credit for you're right like she's probably realized that eventually that this her big redemption is by like saying she made it she's alive and here you need to know about it and now she's getting a little bit of brownie points i guess but fuck Zara right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's easily one of those characters that could die at some point and the audience would be like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> Even if she I, has this kid, whatever, who cares? Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of, um, Oh, we're having a baby. And then they all have to like, it's in one, another show that, um, I mean, it's not anything. It's just like a fun guilty watch, but it was sort of like, Oh, I'm pregnant. And the, the main characters who should be together have to deal with that. And I think it, I don't like that trope in TV if it's not warranted. And I feel like this one wasn't really necessary in some ways, like all the things that Andre started doing because of that, like it hasn't really changed a lot and I don't like it. <laughs> well, at least he's sleeping on the couch in his new place. Right. Yeah. At least there's that. Yeah. But then Josie's going to wake up and be like, Oh, you're pregnant. You know, it's that dynamic that in TV they do a lot. And I'm like, Oh, 
like, can we just not do that anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Season one, I was like, really, really, Andre, you just going to bang one chick. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, be like, oh, no, I totally love you and bang the other chick. And then and then second chick dies in your mind. And now you're like just now shacking up with baby mama. Um, and uh, so I'm wondering how they're going to kind of navigate the story, because I also am not interested in seeing a love triangle kind of situation. I love Josie and I hate Zara. Zara. <laughs> That's the end of that for right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think it's like a love triangle because I don't think Andre even, you know, has any of those feelings for Zara besides like, oh, you're the mom, so I'm going to respect you, but that's it. But Josie might feel other, you know, obviously otherwise. So... Well, now he has to explain to her, like, oh, yeah, while well, I left to go be detec- train detective, I, I did go ahead and bang my ex. I just fell in, you know. I was probing the uh, <laughs> the witness. Uh, how do you think that, um, you know, Andre now knowing of Josie's survival, how do you think this gives leverage now back to to Wilford, like what kinds of sacrifices do we see coming up? Um, Because Wilford seems to have the technology that could save her life. Yeah. I was thinking about that and I was actually thinking like, this is not a good thing. And maybe that's why like, also you can hate Zara again, because maybe it would have been better. (laughs) She's like, didn't let Josie survive because like, this is actually more of a liability in some ways, because I just wrote down like in my notes, I was like, oh, so now Andre's pretty even keel, but you know, when you have people you love and obviously he loved Josie and thinking she was dead and now she's alive. I was like, oh, this is what's going to kind of the vulnerability of it. And if Wilford finds out about it, Andre's not going to be rational, possibly. And that's going to be, well, especially when if Mel is away in the station and then like Andre's, if Wilford knows that and it's going to play that card, like I wonder that that could lead to a lot of things, I think. But not necessarily good things for Snowpiercer. Yeah, I hadn't considered that exactly. I, I was, I mean, it, it registered that the goop might do a lot to to set Josie right, but the fact that that now Andre is is vulnerable because of him probably wanting that for her, I hadn't given a lot of thought to. But I think that's right on the money. Just that now he's got a lot more at stake back in Snowpiercer than he did before. And one of those things is, is, is hurt and the stuff on Big Alice can help. So yeah, now all of a sudden the leader, King Layton is, is in a much worse spot. Not that I needed Josie to die again, but yeah. shit. But good for TV though. So Melanie is the reason that Josie is in the situation that she's in now that Josie has survived. How do you think that dynamic is going to play out with between Melanie and Andre and Melanie with miles bad? That's the third liability. It's, it's Josie. It's um, the baby and maybe miles. Cause he has not been in play, but also those are, those are three big things that, Wilford can use against Andre that he will like bend the knee. (laughs) So I, yeah, it's not, it's not looking good in that sense. I was trying to think about um, punishments, like what's a proper kind of punishment, but I'm also realizing that there's just so much chaos right now that I wonder if it's just going to be like, well, like she's alive. So let's just move on. 
you know, I've seen this kind of thing play out in other other shows, and and I've seen some surprising turn of events where similarly, you know, one character killed another character on say season four in Battlestar Galactica come the end of season five, that character that did the killing is very much needed in order to make uh, the successful climax happen. But when that murdered character's husband finds out he kills her and (laughs) (laughs) that's just it. And it's like, uh, we kind of needed her dude. And (laughs) and he's like tough shit. (laughs) And, um, that was a surprising turn, but that was also highly dramatic and, and memorable. I mean, it's years ago that I saw that and I still remember, whereas I've seen other variations of this where it's like, well, we all just got to get along kind of kind of stuff happen <laughs> a lot in between then. And this show might lean more toward the, the audacious than the tried and true trope. I, I can't wait to see how that turns out because it will be a nail biter. Like, what's, what's going to happen? Is she going to keep it? to herself is is it uh she gonna go nuts when she sees melanie chumming up to andre <laughs> like what's what's gonna happen here oh it's a lot to wake up to after you're fighting for your t- <laughs> i think you'll just if she even makes it that far i mean hopefully she'll just be a lot uh, happy to be alive yeah, you're gonna wake up you're gonna remember you broke your own hand off oh. you have, seem to have no hair no actual skin anymore if that stuff happens to get fixed because it's tv and it might then you see your man like <laughs> comparing notes with the person that did this to you and living with the woman that told her to go find you. Uh, it's got to be bad. It's got to be pretty bad for yeah. that. Can we add Josie to the wild card list then? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good call. That is an excellent call. If everything she knows and loves has been turned upside down then she might find a soft place to land in the welcoming arms of Mr. Wilford. Possibly, especially if she's going to be over there with the, you know, creepy doctors and enough time to heal. He might go and, you know, play, pay some visits and inject that a culty leader part. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe, maybe. I, I just like to think that it was such an impactful experience watching her break her own hand and go toe to toe with Melanie. Josie does not fuck around. She's definitely not meek and weak she'll probably stay true to herself she's just going to come back to a lot of hurt and confusion and and conflict for sure but i don't think that she would turn but i'm I'm a big sympathizer for her right now yeah or is it going to be one of those things where um i think you were talking a little bit about it paul where melanie is so important she's probably the most important person on both trains even if you wanted to kill her, you you shouldn't, or else you're basically killing yourself. So maybe it's going to be one of those things that's going to be a slow burn. Like she'll accept it. And then we know where there's a season three. So maybe it's not going to happen. Like she gets well in this one. She wakes up. She, you know, has those moments, but has to kind of bite her tongue. And then maybe it's like going to be one of those, like in the end, like we need you right now. And then you know, maybe Miles, hey, learn everything you can. And then I would like, ask her, you know, like it's going to be like, I have to be the one to do it. And she's going to just wait for her time to do it. Like she can't let it go undone, but she may not do it right away because she's smart and knows that they need her like you were talking about. So it could be also one of those things, which would be more Josie like, I think, overall. You guys are right. This one was full of holy shit moments. I think we got them all, though. I think those I think it was a pretty trauma filled episode, Paul. I think that we we can be okay that the holy shit moments that we got were holy shit enough. 
All right. On top of all of that, though, Ruth seems to be coming oh. around. <laughs> so I, I'm going to change my stance from last week where I said I don't I don't trust her. I think she is a little bit weird um, still, you know, smelling and leaving her perfume and kind of like making love to this letter that she's sending to Wilfred. The communique. <laughs> the communique. Yes. Um, but uh, I'm starting to feel like she is on the more serious side of taking her role seriously because she genuinely cares. I think last week I wasn't giving her a lot of... Uh, um, credit for this evolution, but I'm hoping that she'll change it because I'm really starting to like her. Yeah, I was kind of, I guess, right a little bit um, because then Melanie was was telling Andre, "Hey, you better, you know, she's you, you got to go involve her, or else she's going to probably, you know, bite you in the butt." So um, <laughs> I, I like that she gave she gave him that advice to to include Ruth, so she 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 uh, stays in her role, you know, and doesn't mess it up either. So um, yeah. That was a good call then. Well, then I think I think we've hit everything that we need to hit for this week. Um, come back next week. We'll hit the third episode as the train keeps rolling. This is Paul. And this is Kat. And this is Inez. And we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.